19. We have been preaching through the book of Revelation. The last few weeks we've been talking about the tribulation period. The tribulation period, the, the awful time upon this earth that takes place uh, after the rapture of the church and, and, and what takes place then. Now, we are at the end of that period. We are at the end of the tribulation period. We are in a time uh, uh, that is one of probably one of the most exciting chapters in the Bible. It sounds like I say that every week because to me every chapter in the Bible is exciting, but... This one especially, there, there's three things here, and don't take notes uh, to, to in just a few minutes, because I'm going to lay a little background information down first, and then you can start taking notes. But in Revelation 19, the, the one thing we see, there is an examination. There is an examination that takes place, and that's what we're going to talk about today, an examination. Then there is a celebration, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, I'm talking about a celebration. You think you've been to a wedding reception? You've never been to a wedding reception like this one's going to be. I mean, there is going to be an unbelievable celebration when we're there with Christ. The bride is with the groom, and we are celebrating our being together. But then there's going to be an annihilation. Jesus is going to come back to this earth. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to destroy the, the enemies that has come against God's people, uh, the, the beast and all the armies of the world that come against into that battle of Armageddon there in the valley of Megiddo, and God's going to, with the, with the word of his mouth, he's going to destroy them, and then he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. Somebody say amen. amen. Thank God for that. But this morning, I want to take the subject and, and talk about today uh, preparing to reign. And I'm not talking about rain that falls from the heaven. I'm talking about reigning here on this earth, preparing to reign. The Bible says very clearly that Jesus is coming back to reign and then we are going to reign with him. You believe that? Say amen. amen. We're going to reign with him, but there's one thing about it. Uh, let's, get into our, let's get into our verse and I'll let you sit down. Revelation 19 and verse number 5. If you're there, say amen. amen. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and the voice of many waters and the voice of uh, mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself what? Ready. ready. It says in verse 8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Let's go back to verse 7. It says, For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Father in heaven, please anoint your word today. God, it's going to be a little tight this morning. I pray that you'll, you'll speak to our hearts. I pray that you'll help us to learn what we need to learn today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Lehman Strauss, Bible commentator, probably has one of the best commentaries on the book of Revelation. Uh, he said this. It is sad but true. It is sad but true. Commentating on this particular uh, chapter in the Bible, this particular book of the Bible, he says, It is sad but true that all saints will not be ready to meet Christ when he comes for his church. Now think about that a minute. And he uses the word saints. He's talking about saved people. Not that they're unsaved. Not that their name is not in the book of life. Not that they have not been redeemed by the blood. But they will not be ready to meet the Lord when he comes. 
They're saved. They're going with him. Uh, They're not going to miss the trip. Uh, They have a home prepared in heaven for them, but they will not be ready to meet him when he comes. Some will be ashamed before him at his coming. You say, "Uh, do you have any verse for that? 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know, there's people living lives today that they're going to be ashamed when Christ comes. There's things going on today in in the lives of Christians that when Jesus comes, they won't have any confidence to see him. They'll be ashamed at his coming. Now watch this. He says, so while God has been preparing the earth for the reign of the saints, he must also prepare the saints to be presented to a prepared earth. In other words, through the tribulation period, God is judging mankind. God is judging this earth. God is taking back what the devil stole. He is preparing the earth for the reign of his son and the reign of his saints. But before the saints can reign, they have to be prepared. You say, where do you get that from? The Bible says the wife hath made herself ready. If you have to make yourself ready, that means you are not ready. Are you all with me? Now watch this. Now, stay with me. Stay with me. You don't need to nod off on this one. You've got to stay with me, all right? Uh, how is that going to take place? How is he going to prepare them? The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. God is going to present to himself a bride, pure and holy, pure and white. But there's going to be some things that take place. Dr. Dr. M.R. Dehan said this. He said in Ephesians 5.26, what we just read, we are told that Christ will sanctify and cleanse his church by the washing of water by the word. The two words used, sanctify and cleanse, are not the same in the Greek. The word translated cleanse in this verse is the, is the word kathizero from which our English word cathartic is derived or which means to purge, to purge. God uses two methods of making us clean. One is by sanctifying by the word and if we refuse this method, he will give us a cathartic but he will have us clean. How much better to take the gentle course now than to wait until the judgment seat of Christ and be purged by fire? What does that mean? That means the moment you get saved, the moment you get saved, God begins a process in your life. God begins a cleansing process. God begins a sanctifying process. That's why sometimes when you come to the house of God, it hurts what you hear because there is things that God is trying to cut out of your life. There's things that God is trying to do with you. I like that that saying that God will take you just like you are, and he will. But thank God he won't leave you that way. He will go to work on you and he'll start adding things here and taking away things there. But it is the purpose of presenting you and getting you ready as a glorified bride. But there are people that resist that. There are people that will not submit to the word. They will not submit to what God is trying to do. But either way, God will have you clean by that day. Purged by fire. Let me keep reading. 1 Corinthians three thirteen. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. This preparation that we're talking about, where does Christ prepare his bride? Where does he get her ready for that 
that, that coronation, where does that take place? I believe it takes place at the Bema Judgment. I believe after the rapture of the church, I believe that every Christian will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't get the judgment seat of Christ or the beam of judgment compared or confused with the great white throne judgment. There is going to be a judgment for the sinner, and there's going to be a judgment for the saint. Now, uh, if you are at the great white throne judgment being judged, you've had a bad day. Because those are for those who have their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, and they will be judged for their sins. I'm not talking about that today. That's not what we're covering today. We are covering the Bema judgment. And I want to I describe that just a, a little bit. Romans 14, 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's amazing to me how many people run around and want to tell everybody else what to do. And want to tell everybody else what they're doing wrong in their church because they're not doing what they're doing in their church. And, and, and why, what, what business is it of yours? You're going to be judged one day, so will they. Why are you judging your brother, he says. For it is written, as I live, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We shall, how many of us? All of us. It says in verse 12, it says in verse 12, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to as he has done, whether it be good or bad. Now look, this word, the word bema, that's when you look up the word uh, in Revelation, we, we, you find the word translated bema, B-E-M-A. Bema, which we get from the Isthmian games where the contestants would compete for the prize under careful scrutiny of judges who would make sure that every rule of the contest was obeyed. The victor of a given event who participated according to the rules was led by the judge to the platform. Y'all see this? Led to the platform called a bema. There the wreath was placed on his head as a symbol of victory. What does that mean? One day... If I don't break my neck, we're all going to stand on a platform in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to give account for our life. One day we're going to give account. One day we're going to give, and the word account there means to give answer to. We will have to answer for things in our life. Now, there are, there are two extremes to this. There are two extremes to this. One one. A, 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 a rule of thought, and I've heard this preached, which I don't believe is totally true, uh, that, that every deed you ever did, every sin you ever committed, everything is going to go on a screen in front of you, and you'll have to stand before God and give account for everything that, that took place and in your life, every sin after you were saved, and so forth and so on. Now, everybody's going to see every dirty deed. Everybody's going to see every uh, bad thoughts you ever had. Now, I, I'm, I'm not of that persuasion. You're not standing for your sin. Jesus stood and was judged and condemned for your sin so you didn't have to be. Hallelujah. But then there's the other thought. Then there's the other extreme. You have two extremes. The other extreme is that, hey, this is just an award ceremony. We're going to stand there and we're going to shout and be excited. And, hey, we're going to get crowns and we're going to get all these rewards. And it's just going to be a great time. I don't believe that one either. Because there's basically two things I found in God's word that you're going you're to be held accountable for. Number one, and don't take notes, I'm not there yet. Number one, your words. Your words. 
The Bible says we will give account for every idle word. And the word idle, I looked it up, it means useless. Every useless word, if it was not good for edifying, if it, if it did not build up, if it was not for the good of somebody, it was a useless word. And the Bible says every idle word, every critical word, every time you cut somebody down, everything you said, you're going to stand accountable for it. The Bible says whatever you say, let it be to edifying. Let it be seasoned with salt. The Bible says so much about our words. It says we should be swift to hear and slow to speak. And I'm not going to preach on this because I want to talk about the other subject because this one's easy. Keep your mouth shut. This is not a hard fix. Keep your mouth shut. The Bible says the tongue is a, a fire set on of hell. In other words, your tongue came straight from hell. I've known that for a long time. Keep your mouth shut. If you don't have something good to say, I mean, Granny had enough sense to tell you this as a kid. If you don't have something good to say, keep your mouth shut. Are y'all with me? Why are y'all acting so surprised? You know this? Amen. How many relationships have been destroyed because somebody's running the mouth? How many churches have been destroyed because somebody's running the mouth? And 98% of the time, they don't even know what they're talking about. Keep your mouth shut. Listen, the more you keep your mouth shut down here, the less you'll have to open it when you're standing right here. Amen. And don't forget, we're going to stand here. We're going to give account. And I'm ashamed of that. I'm ashamed of some things I've said. Out of anger. Out of disappointment or, or whatever. Out of ignorance. Let's be careful with what we say. Would you all agree? Say amen. But then not only our words, but the Bible says we'll give account for our works. Our works. The Bible says, the Bible says, and in, 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 by the way, if you don't believe me on the words, Matthew 12, 36, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure. And by the way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Don't tell me you're a good person and all you got is trash to say. Because what comes out of your mouth is coming from your heart. The Bible says, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Y'all with me? Say amen. amen. The Bible says our works, we're going to give account. We're going to stand for our works. Our works are going to go through the fire according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And then I, this, is, this is what I want to talk about. Just two things. And I believe you can sum it all up. I believe you can sum all those things up. When we're standing here, when it comes our time and our name is called and we have to stand on this platform and we're standing before Christ, and it is, we will receive rewards according to what we have done. We, we will receive that, but the Bible says some will suffer loss. I believe there's basically two things that Christ is going to be looking at. And I, there's many things, but I believe you can put them under these two things. Number one, and this, now you can take notes. Number one, God is going to be examining. You remember what we said, Christ is getting us ready so that we can wear that white robe. He's getting the spots out. He's getting the blemishes out. He's examining us, and I believe this is what he's going to examine. I believe, number one, he is going to examine our focus. Our focus. While Jesus was here on this earth, while Jesus was here on this earth, the Bible says this. 
when he was a little lad. And this is young people. Listen, Jesus gave you an example just like he gave us older people. Listen, he gave you an example what to be and how to live and how to act as a young person. When he was a young man, young man, a little lad, not even a teenager yet, the Bible says that he was left behind. He was in the temple asking questions and answering questions and confounding the wise. Listen, I believe that tells us our, our young people need to know something about the Bible. They don't need to wait till they're teenagers or till they're adults to know something. We need to train up a child early in the way he should go. And here he is, and, the, and, and his parents come back and said, what are you doing to us? We were so afraid we thought we have lost you. How would you like to be known as the parents who lost the Messiah? I mean, I gave Jesus to you. Lost Je- How do you lose Jesus? Amen. They come back to him, and, 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 and they said, this, is, this, this was his response. He said, wished you not that I must be about my father's business? He didn't, you know, and if you study that phrase out, he means I must get an early start on what God has called me to do. I've got a job to do. I'm not here on vacation. I have a purpose. I have a destiny. I have a plan. God has commissioned me. I am here with a purpose. And then later on, he said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. He had a driven goal. He had a focus on what he was called to do. His brain and his mind was focused to the cross. He had a desire to do the will of God. He said, I'm not come to do my own will. I'm come to do the will of my Father. Now, I ask you this question. What is your focus every day of your life? When you get up, is your focus on fishing? Is your focus on golfing? Is your focus on hunting? Is your focus on a hobby? Is it on hot rod cars? What is your focus on? Do you have a focus on the will of God? Do you know the will of God for your life? Are you desiring to serve God with every fiber of your being? What is your focus? The Bible says this, seek the kingdom of God. Seek ye, seek ye first the kingdom of God. What is your focus? What is the focus of your attention? What gets most of your attention? Is it ball games? I know where I'm at. I'm in sweet home Alabama. I know where I'm at. I read, I read a, a thing this week that said Nick Saban has more fans on his Facebook thing than God does. Now, you know, you can laugh. Whatever. It, it, the point is this. Where is the focus of our attention? And I like it all. Don't get me wrong. I'm checking Tebow out. I'm hoping he goes in the first round. I don't think that's going to happen, but God bless. Amen. I like sports. I like all that. I love baseball. I love it all. I played it growing up, and I don't have not one blessed thing against it. I, I like going and watching. I like watching. I watch your kids play, and I like watching my, hey, I don't have any issue whatsoever with that. I love it, and I think you, if you, you keep it in moderation and you teach your kids that God's first and that second, you're doing okay. But where is your focus? Where is your focus? Ladies, is your focus on your children? Is it on your children? The Bible says clearly that we are to seek first the kingdom Because one day we're going to stand here and we're going to give account for where we spent most of our time, where we spent most of our energy, where was the focus of our attention. I was asked this week, I was asked this week, "Uh, Preacher, do you notice such and such that's going on during the service? I said, no, I don't notice that. I'm too busy looking for sinners. I'm looking for people who need to be saved. I'm looking for their reaction. I'm looking at what it takes to reach them. What, what What do I, my focus is not on this stuff. 
Some of y'all need to redirect your focus when you come to the house of God because your focus is on everything but God. And brother, brother, uh, brother, uh, help me, brother Barry. Brother Doyle. He said it well. I, I, I took in a leave this morning because my hip was hurting, so I'm, it's got me messed up a little bit. Amen. Uh, he said it well. When you're thinking about Christ, you're not thinking about anything else. But if you're thinking about every other thing else, you're not thinking about Christ. And what do we come here to do this morning? We came to worship. Our focus should be on glorifying Him. Our focus should not be on criticizing somebody else or wondering why they do this or don't do that. It should be on Him. And you know what? One day, we're all going to stand right here. And God's going to say, where was your focus? Where was the focus of your attention? Where was the focus of your affection? Does the Bible not say set your affection on things above? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Where's your? I found out this. Brother Hawkins, your affection will determine your attention. There's some things I really hate to do, so I'm not going to do it often. There are some things I really love to do, and I, that's going to take most of my time. Are y'all with me? Somebody that loves to fish, they're going to be busy fishing. Somebody that loves to hunt, they're going to do more time hunting. There's, there's, you know, it just, wherever your affection is. And by the way, your attention, your, your affection will determine your attention, but your attention will reveal your affection. Hello. It's all going to come out right here. It's all come out when we stand before him. It's all going to come out. Listen, where's your focus? I believe we're going to be examined in our focus. But then lastly, and this is critical, I believe God is not only going to examine our focus, but I believe God is going to examine our faithfulness. Our faithfulness. You know, The one great thing about the will of God and, and, and God's direction is the fact that God is not looking for ability. God's not looking for ability. If that was the case, he'd have never called David to go face Goliath. Saul was a head taller than everybody in the whole camp. He would have never chosen a young lad to go face Goliath. He's not looking for ability. He's not looking for strength and power. He's looking for availability. He's looking for somebody to say, God, here I am. Send me. I will do what you'd have me to do. God, I will be faithful. There's one thing about faithfulness. Not one person has an excuse of not being faithful. We all can be faithful. We might not can be, listen, have all the ability that somebody else has. I may not can sing like somebody else. I may not can preach like somebody else. I may not can do this or that like somebody else. But there is one thing I can do with what I can do. I can be faithful. God is going to say, choir members, are you faithful to practice? 
Are you faithful to sing when you're supposed to sing? Listen, all you teachers, are you faithful to get ready and prepared? Are you faithful in your responsibilities? Are you faithful to do what God has called you to do? Are you faithful in the first impressions? Are you faithful? Was you faithful with what I gave you? Listen, I've had people say, well, I don't have much. That's because you're not faithful with that. Because if you're faithful with that, God will give you more. Are we faithful? He's going to judge and examine our faithfulness, A, as a steward. As a steward. The Bible says it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Boy, when you learn that you're a steward, I'm talking about, I'm talking about a steward. A steward is one that manages the affairs of another. Watch this. Everybody, everybody get your seatbelt real quick. Go ahead, get it. Symbolically, amen, get your seatbelt. Go ahead and click it and pull her tight because we're fixing to have some turbulence. A steward is somebody that manages the affairs of another. God says you're a steward. Well, what am I a steward of? I believe you're a steward of your children. The Bible says children are a heritage of the Lord. In other words, they don't belong to you. As much as I want and and believe and think that that my four girls belong to me, they don't belong to me. They belong to God. God has lent them to me. According to Scripture, God has given them to me to raise in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God has given them to me to train and develop and to teach them about who He is. I have a responsibility of a steward of my children. And listen, if you're here and you're a faithful member or you're a a regular attender and you keep your children home during the afternoon, during when they should be up here learning about God, you're not being a faithful steward. Well, that's my nap time. Well, come take a nap in the parking lot and let your children hear about who Jesus is. Listen, there's more parents that force their kids to brush their teeth but won't force them to go to church and read the Bible. I would rather my kid go straight to heaven without a tooth in his head or her head than go to hell with every tooth on their face. Oh, I don't think you can force that on you. Yes, you can. I, I, I read a book. I read a book. I like it up here. I can see y'all. Amen. I read a book that children are gardens and you just let them, you just let them develop evidently this moron has never planted a garden because if you don't tend to it weeds will come up and you put in a garden what you want in there if you want maters you put tomatoes in there if you want potatoes you put potatoes if you want corn you put corn I need to witness somebody we're Baptists we know how to eat say amen but if you don't put in them what you want in them you're not going to get out what you want You're going to get weeds and briars and thistles and all of that stuff. Yeah, let them be whatever they want to be. And that's what they're going to be. The Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. It is our responsibility to drive it far from them. Amen. Are you being a good steward of your children? Are you leading them in the right way? Listen, we have a great program. I'm talking about an incredible program that if you start them when they are puggles, by the time they're teenagers, they have a full, complete, working knowledge of the entire Bible. Tell me where else they can go and get that. But they're not going to get it if you keep them at home. 
You need to be a good steward, a faithful steward of your children. Are y'all with me this morning? God wants us to be good stewards of our cash. Every dime you have belongs to him. One day we're going to stand accountable for what God has given us and how we spend it. If you spend your tithe money on cable TV, God will, you will answer to God for that. If you, if you spend your tithing offerings on a bass boat payment, you will stand before God for that. Brother Chris, I'm, say I become your accountant. Wouldn't that be a hoop? And I am to take care of your affairs. And you learn, you learn that I'm sporting a new Astro bass boat. I'm talking about with a new 225 Mercury. I need a witness right there. Brother Doyle, does that sound exciting? And you find out that I'm spending your money on my bass boat. How would you feel about that? Not good. I tell you what, you ought not talk about money in these times. That's why I'm talking about it. Because the Bible says that people are robbing God of tithes and offerings. And, and listen, it's going through their pockets just as fast as it is. The reason you don't have anything is your money's cursed. Let me put it this way. A hundred percent of what you make belongs to God. A hundred percent. Now, he allows you 90% to manage. And he wants his 10 not that he needs his ten. He don't listen. He owns a cattle of a thousand hills. He don't need your ten, but he knows the Bible says where your treasure is, there where your. He wants to know: Does he have your heart? That ten percent is not about anything but knowing that God has your heart. All right, we are to manage the other. Now I'm talking about this, and I'm not necessarily talking about that ten. I'm not here to bring up tithes and offerings that's not what it's about but what are you doing with what you're supposed to be managing are we going into such great debt that we're killing ourselves that we can't serve God because we're so much under pressure because of finances because we're not being faithful stewards of what God is giving us I told you I warned you put the seatbelt on it's going to get tight but there's so many ministries that are going by the wayside and so many missionaries we can't send because we're not being right and faithful stewards with what God is giving us. We're living beyond our means and we're trying to please people we don't even like with money we don't even have, with things we don't even want. Y'all with me? We're going to stand right here. We're going to give account for every dime we spend. I believe God wants us to be good stewards of our children, our cash. But not only that, but our call. Our call. What has God called you to do? Listen, faithfulness is a steward. B, faithfulness is a servant. The Bible says this very clearly. Every, do you have that verse under there? Brother, is there, is there a verse underneath that that you can put up there for me? Watch this. 1 Peter 4.10. As every man hath received the what? Even so minister the same one to another as good of the manifold grace of God. What's that mean? That means when you got saved or even before, God put in you a gift, a talent to be used for his glory. 
A talent to be used to edify the body of Christ, to edify the church, to encourage your neighbors and your brothers and your sisters, to be, listen, to be used for the glory of God. And the Bible says you are a steward of that talent. And you will stand accountable for what God has given you, whether it's the the gift of exhortation, whether it's the gift of encouragement, whether it's the gift of administration, whether it's the gift of leadership, whatever it may be. Are you using that for the glory of God? Are you using that to benefit and edify the body of Christ? Are you using that as the way that God has given you to use that? Or is it going by the wayside? The most irritating thing The most irritating thing to me, I'm telling you, it just drives me crazy, is to see people that have ability that will not use it. Brother Bo, would you admit that on on the ball field, when you see somebody that could really get it done and really make it happen, and they just kind of mess around out there and won't apply, that drives me crazy. I would rather see somebody give 110% that don't have talent whatsoever, but son, they're going to give it all they got than to see somebody have all the talent in the world and are lazy with it. I can't stand that. I can't stand that. Man, if you can sing, bless God, get in there and sing. If you can play something, get up here and play it. I'm telling you, that drives me crazy because I want to play it. Man, I would play. If I could play, it would be awful. Say amen. And then you see people that can but won't. I've got an uncle, Lord God, he would come over to our house all the time, bring his hand and guitar, and I mean could play and sing and do all of that and won't do it for God. And that would drive me bananas. If you've got something that God's given you, use it for the glory of God. Use it while we have time. Ecclesiastes said this, listen, whatever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Don't do it halfway. Don't do it half-hearted. I mean, go all the way with it. Do it to the best of your ability. Do it with all that you have. Preacher, you're going to get burnt out. I'd rather burn out than rust out. Listen, are you faithful as a servant? Are you faithful, Lord? Cover up my box here. When you stand here, will you hear the words, Well done, thou what? How many of y'all want to hear that? Last of all, God, I believe, is going to examine our faithfulness as a steward. God's going to examine our faithfulness as a servant. But then see, God's going to examine our faithfulness as a soul winner. Who's around you every day that you haven't invited to church? Who's around you that you need to give an invitation, that you need to share the gospel with? What are you doing with the friends that you have? Listen, this is one of the most important ones out of all of them. And please get this one. There is nothing that you can take to heaven but somebody else. See, we focus on money. We focus on possessions. We focus on all of the fame and fortune. And by the way, fame and fortune can leave you just as fast as it come. You can't take any of that with you. But you can sure take somebody else. How are you doing with that? The Bible says, go ye into all the world. It says, reach every creature. How are you doing with your part? 
You remember what Jesus said? You remember what Jesus said to the, to the disciples in Acts chapter 1? He said, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, you may not be to the uttermost, and you may not be to Africa, and you may not be to the homeless there in Asheville, North Carolina, Brother Travis, but you're in Coleman. How are you doing in your field? We all want missionaries to send letters from their field to let us know how they're doing, to make sure they're staying with it, to make sure they have responsibility and accountability for the money that we're sending them. Well, how about us? How are we doing in Coleman? How are we doing with our mission field? How are we doing with the, the little, the little uh, people that God brings us in the, in the youth development on Sunday evenings? How are we doing? One day I believe we're going to show faithfulness. God is going to say, were you faithful as a steward? Were you faithful as a servant? Were you faithful as a soul winner? Let your light so shine before men. They may be able to see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Ye are the light of the world. I love that little kid's song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine all over Coleman. I'm going to let it shine. Are y'all with me? Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan. Hello. We got some teaching to do, Brother Kendrick. Amen. How many of y'all heard that in church? How many of y'all heard that in church when you was little? Don't y'all think it's time we start practicing it? Amen? Amen. Now, I'm not saying you got to get up on the side of a corner and say, Get your Bible. I'm, I ain't saying that. <laughs> Take one of them invitations and say, Man, we got a cool church. We have the most unbelievable preacher. Well, you don't have to go all that, but. Just invite them to church. Let them come hear the gospel. You'd be amazed. I promise you. You'd be amazed at the feeling you'll get when you're responsible for seeing somebody saved. It's incredible. There's nothing like it. Church, say amen. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, in Jesus' name, I love you this morning and I appreciate